some of you might be aware, our oldest daughter, Miriam, uh, just started her first classes in college. She is a freshman at Baylor. And while she doesn't have a major yet, she is um, interested in kind of health, medicine, um, healing of, of kind of uh, different ways. And, um, and so she's under an umbrella right now of health science which uh, is partly to show how different your children's brains can be from you because I tended to avoid any class that had the word science in it uh, <laughs> while I was in college. But she's just wired uh, differently in that way. And so I was pretty surprised a couple weeks ago when she called and asked if I would be willing to read one of her textbooks with her for a class and to have a weekly meeting on the phone to discuss it. This was for a class that is an elective class that she's taking. Uh, like a lot of freshmen, her, most of her classes are kind of dictated for her. Uh, it's biology and other stuff that I don't understand. But she uh, had one elective. And the elective, when she was looking at her thing, we were like, well, look at what fits in the schedule, right, with your other classes. But then what you should do is just take something that's interesting. Don't worry about what it leads to. Don't worry about where you Just if it seems interesting, Take it and, and explore uh, in a class. And so she told us that she signed up for a once a week course on Wednesday nights entitled Christian Spirituality and Healthcare. Christian Spirituality and Healthcare. So her first week of class arrives, she goes to her classes, but after that class, which I said meets once a week so on Wednesday night, she contacted us, she's like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm supposed to stay in this. And we're like, well, tell us why. Like, what, what was it? Because you can still drop it if you need to. And she said, I, I went in there and it's a small class. There are only 16 people and I'm the only freshman in the class. And we're like, what? And she goes, yeah, it's 16 people. It's one freshman, one sophomore, and the rest are juniors and seniors, most of whom are pre-med majors. And I don't know if that's what I want to do. And, and we're like, well, you should, you know, you don't want to be overwhelmed your first semester. And so if you want to drop it, like, just go drop it. It's okay. There's other ones. And she goes, yeah, I talked to my professor and, and I could drop it. And she goes, but I just, it was so interesting. <laughs> and I was like, really? She goes, it was so interesting. This combination of faith and science and medicine and how it comes together. And she goes, I just don't know if I want to drop it. And I said, well, listen, genuinely, if you're excited about it, lean into it. Just see where it goes. She said, okay, but I want to do it under one condition. I've got these two textbooks. And uh, it's this, one of them like, is a book on Christian spirituality, and one of them is a book on kind of health care and science. And she said, Dad, I was wondering if you would read one of them with me. And I said, you want me to read the healthcare book uh, and talk to you about that? <laughs> she said, no, I don't want that. I was wondering if you'd be willing to read this book on Christian spirituality and for us to talk about it. And so we have this past, I guess, so I said, of course I said, yes. If your 18 year old college freshman asks you to do that, it's like, absolutely. I'd read the healthcare book if you wanted to do that and study it, right? I'm excited you're speaking to me for more than four seconds at a time. So like, yeah. And so, so I ordered the textbook. I got the textbook. It's uh, by a Catholic priest, and it's called uh, The Holy Longing, A Search for Christian Spirituality. And, um, and so I got it, and I got the assignments and what I'm supposed to do, and I got like highlighter, and I got a notebook for it, and I like take notes, and I like have kept up with the reading. And this past Wednesday, we had our first meeting. It was before class, so it was at 5 o'clock on Wednesdays. That's when we're going to be meeting. If you want to have a meeting with me, I'm not available at 5 o'clock on Wednesdays because Miriam and I have our phone call. And we both read, and she, this week, she's like, I've got these discussion questions I had to come up with, and I'm going to read them to you, and what do you think? And we talked about them, and kind of the themes of the chapter. It was awesome. It was great. It was wonderful. 
The interesting thing about this book is this author is writing, and he's writing trying to explain Christian spirituality, but he's very clear in the beginning he wants to explain it to both Christians and non-Christians. So he doesn't just want to use the kind of Christianese terms. He's trying to explain to anybody how to think about a healthy spiritual life. And this week, part of our reading assignment is that we're reading about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, God's presence in the world, in, in the Word. It's, it, it's this uh, living presence of God. And I love the way he described it in this book. What he said, so that anyone can kind of understand what the Spirit is, he said, the Holy Spirit is God's living presence in the world today. And what that means is, God is life. God is creator. And so it's this force of life in the world, this force of creation in the world. God is power. God is fire. God is uh, purpose. God is magnificence. And so this power that is alive, brimming around us in creation, that is, is the presence of the divine. And that a healthy spirituality is when we tap into that life force, that energy, that force of God in the world, and it flows into us and fills us up to overflowing. He said, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they have this kind of life, and they walk into a room and you notice it. There's just something different about them. They might not be the loudest person, but, but they're going to be somebody that just has this kind of thing about them that's a little different. He said, just like some people, you can walk into a room and there's like a negative energy or presence to it. He said, what does it mean for us to have a healthy spirituality where our spirit, our souls, tap into that life of God? in the world. What does that look like? It reminded me a lot of the second uh, century Christian writer and theologian Irenaeus who said that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory, that's a great quote, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. That's what this author was saying. When we have a healthy spirituality, we are tapped into this force of life and we are fully alive. We are filled up in those empty places inside. And then as we are filled up, the Holy Spirit starts spilling out for us, uh, out of us into the world, wherever we live, work, and play. And it starts transforming the world. That life is what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks in this new teaching series that we're starting entitled Rekindle. The idea that our faith through the Spirit can be rekindled, that we can come fully alive, that we can be brimming with life, fully alive ourselves, and that that life of God can spill out from us on a daily basis and change this hurting world. In many ways, that's the story of the book of Acts. And so we're going to be spending time in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, starting with uh, the Pentecost text, the story of the Holy Spirit coming into the world and the birth of the church going forward. So we're going to read now our text for today from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And I invite you to listen to God's word to us today. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. 
amazed and astonished. They asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Eliamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray no matter who we are or how we gather to hear what today, what thoughts, what opinions, what beliefs, that we would experience your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, since we're going to be spending uh, four weeks in the book of Acts, I just want to say something about the book before we look at this particular passage. Because the book of Acts is unique in the New Testament. Think of it as opposed uh, or as a little different from the Gospels that come right before it, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those have a specific purpose. And the purpose of those Gospels is to look back at history and to believe that it's true. Luke makes that really clear at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. He says, I'm writing this that you may have an accurate account of what's happened in history. This is what took place in the life, teachings, healings, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm letting you know what took place before, and I'm writing this so that you believe. That's what the Gospels are about. And that's important, right? But the Gospels can leave you kind of looking back, wishing that you had been there. Because it's about looking backwards. So, like, I, I, I have read the accounts of the first Easter. I believe that it's true. The Gospels have been effective in what they are trying to do. But there's also a sense of going, man, I wish I could have been there. Like, I wish I could have been there. That first moment when they realized that Jesus, who had died on a cross, was standing there in front of them. And I wish I could have been there to see what it was like as they touched the wounds in his hands and in his feet and in his side. I wish I could have seen the looks on them. I mean, I can imagine what they were doing, but I wish I had been there. The book of Acts is a totally different kind of book because the book of Acts is talking about how the Holy Spirit comes into the world and changes people and changes the world through ordinary people. And what that means is, and the reason it's different, is that when we look back and see what the Holy Spirit does in the book of Acts, there should be no part of us going, oh, I wish I'd been there then. Because you and I have that same spirit alive in the world today. We have access here in Austin, Texas in 2023 to everything they had in the book of Acts. And so if we're reading it going, oh, I wish I had been there at that moment, that says more about our spiritual lives than it does about history. Because the same power, that life force, is still as alive in the world today. And the hope of this series is that we tap into it, coming fully alive ourselves and having that life spill forth from us to impact this world. Book of Acts says that, that the people that changed the world were, were ordinary men and women filled with the Holy Spirit. That should be our goal. The book of Acts, as some theologian says, never ends. Like it's 28 chapters, but it's still being written in your life and in my life and in Covenant's life today. We are Acts chapter 29. Because the story of God using ordinary people to change the world. 
So we shouldn't read it looking back going, that must have been amazing. Yes, it was. But guess what? So should our lives be. So should our world be. And to tap into this life force of the Spirit, to have a spiritual life that, that is overflowing with God's presence and God's love, that doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't just happen to some people and not other people. But there are ways that if you and I want to come alive in our lives, to be filled with the Spirit, that we have to live and choose to live and posture our lives and how we handle our time in order to tap into and be available for the fullness of God around us. And that's where we're going to begin today. Because if you and I want to have this kind of life, if you and I want to have a life that stands for something more than ourselves and our careers and our, in this world, then we have to begin posturing ourselves the way we see here in this book. How do we do that? Where it begins is individual decisions that we make about how we spend our lives. And to illustrate that, I want us to look back, actually, at chapter 1 of the book of Acts, the previous chapter. This is verses 12 through 14. And these are the verses right after the resurrected Jesus has ascended into heaven. Okay, This is the immediate verses after that, when Jesus is ascended, after his resurrection. And this is what it says. It says, Then they, the disciples, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. All right, so let's start here. This is what leads into the upper room where Pentecost takes place. And what do you notice about the decisions and choices these people are making? Well, the first thing you got to notice is they don't have this amazing experience of the resurrected Jesus and then go back to their lives, their regular lives. They go to Jerusalem. Now, why is that significant? Because none of them were from Jerusalem. None of them lived in Jerusalem. They were from Galilee in northern Israel. And if they had just gone back to their lives, they would have gone back home after Jesus had resurrected and said, wasn't that an amazing retreat? Wasn't that an amazing thing we just saw? How cool is that? God, the Lord spoke to me. It was so amazing. And, and like, and now I'm just going to go back and I'm going to start fishing again. I'm just going to live my life knowing that Jesus loves me and he raised from the dead. How amazing. They don't do that. There's something fundamental we don't want to skip over, which is they say, I don't want to go back to my daily ho-hum life. I don't want to go back to just having this one great experience and then sort of going forward with my life. I want to be a part of what God's still doing. I want to live differently. I don't want to just like cut this off and say, well, that was the best. There's nothing else that's going to happen to me spiritually that's going to top that anymore. And so they go back to Jerusalem, to the last place that they had gathered with Jesus in this upper room, and they wait. And what do they do while they're waiting? They devote themselves to prayer. That's what it says. The disciples go into the upper room, and it says that along with the women that are there, Mary, the mother of Jesus, these women and men, they devote themselves to prayer. The first decision we need to make is, do you want to be a part of what God's doing in the world? Or not? Or do you just want to sort of go to church and check the box? I would recommend the first. I would recommend wanting to be a part of a life being fully alive. I would recommend wanting to be a part of something that is bigger than yourself. But you got to decide if that's what you want or not. 
just kind of want to work and watch TV and get along with everybody and go to church. Okay. It's not the goal. But you've got to choose if that's what you want. If you want something more than that, you've got to make that decision. And where we begin in that path towards God doing something, it says is that we devote ourselves to prayer. So I want to start here by asking you today, how's your prayer life? It's a really straightforward question. How's your prayer life? Studies show that most of us wake up in the day, the first thing we look at are our phones, and then we're just kind of charging and feeling distracted as we go forward. What I'm asking is, how is your prayer life? What does it mean to devote ourselves to prayer? Because that is something likely that many of us struggle with. Now, what is prayer? Prayer is not some form, right? I think sometimes when we think of prayer, it's like, well, it has to happen in this certain way. And, you know, I like it when Jill prays, or I like it when Beth prays, or I like it when Stephen prays, and it's kind of good that way, and I don't feel quite as... That's not the way to think about it. Prayer is not a form. It's not... It, it, the, the way prayer... Prayer can look like an infinite number of things, okay? And, and I bet in the upper room that they prayed as a big group. I bet they prayed in small groups. I bet they prayed individually. And I bet they didn't all do it the same way. Because if the author of Acts had sitting there and said... This is what they did when they pray. They know that we would have formed a committee, studied it, and tell people this is what prayer is supposed to look like. It's not that way. Prayer at its core is our spirit, our souls, reaching out for God, desiring to connect with God, wanting to be a part of what God is about. And what the disciples learn, and as we devote ourselves to prayer, what we will learn is that when our souls reach out for God and desire something more than this world, God is alive, present, and God is reaching back out for us. God will show up. They devoted themselves to prayer. And God showed up. This day, this week, if we want to start on this path of having our faith rekindled, of having this life flowing through us and out of us to those around us, if we want to be a part of this, I'm going to invite you this week for us to be a community where we devote ourselves to praying. Every day. Just like we arrange who's cooking dinner. Just like we arrange our staff meeting. That you devote yourselves to praying on a daily basis. Now, as we close, two things about this that I want to say. First thing about prayer that's really important, <clears throat> as I said before, you can pray in an infinite number of ways. And so the question that you might ask yourself is, how might you pray that's uniquely you this week? Okay? Some people pray by uh, being silent in a room. That's my wife. I cannot do that. Other people need to pray as they are outside walking, like me. That's okay. It's not right or wrong. It's different for different people. Some people pray uh, and have a devotional life that's using a devotional book, uh, Jesus Calling or My Utmost for His Highest. Other people read those and like, I don't like it. It's okay. Some people use our daily devotion that comes out in an email and maybe use the prayer of examine. Other people don't find that very meaningful. That's okay. Some people pray by journaling stuff down. Some people come here and walk the prayer labyrinth on our campus. It's about to get below 100. You can come do this and not dehydrate when you're doing it. I would recommend it. Give it a try. It's right here. It's available all the time for you to come use. There are some people who pray by reading the Psalms. I know one person in this church that every day reads a Psalm out loud and then doesn't pray. The Psalm is their prayer. And they pray what's there. 
Some people pray to music. I know when I go through uh, Advent and Christmas, Handel's Messiah is one of those things that I will play, pray as part of my devotional life, not listening to it and then praying, but the music and the words of Scripture that Handel wrote about, those are a prayer. So number one, I want you to, to think about if you devote yourselves to prayer this week, to think expansively about what that means. You might do something different every day this week. That's okay, because number two thing about prayer, studies show that people who have a healthy prayer life, they change them over time. They don't just do the same thing at the same time every day for 50 years, and it's still this wonderful life-giving experience. It becomes ritual and just going through the motions, potentially. So some of you right now, if I say, how's your prayer life? You're like, I feel alive in the Lord, great. Great, but some of you might be going, I don't even really know what that means, or I used to feel alive and now I don't. I want to be rekindled. Well, talk to people in your small group. Talk to other people about how they pray. Listen and learn. Try different things, because something that didn't work for you before might work really well now, and something uh, uh, that you can learn about how to do that. For me, I am, uh, I've never been much of a journaler. You know, if, if some of you probably like write in your journals and have prayer journals and stuff, I admire that. I, I've never, I'm more of what they call a verbal processor, um, which is, I know, going to be shocking to all of you. That that's, that's more my kind of language. But in the last year, I have started journaling. And it's been really powerful for me. It's actually some of the most important spiritual moments I've had in prayer in the last years. I have a prayer journal. I keep it my bedside table. And when I really need to, I get out and write it out. And, and the intentionality of that is really working for me right now. Is that going to be how I'm kind of praying a year from now? I have no idea. It's not the point. It is working today. And so devoting ourselves to prayer might mean admitting that I don't know quite how to do that and trying things that are different. And so to close, for you who are looking, if we are going to be a community that's alive in the spirit, that's devoting ourselves to prayer, we're going to have a unique invitation to pray together throughout the days of this week, and it's praying through music. I mentioned the QR code on the back of your bulletin. That will take you, anytime you want to use it, to a song by an artist named Matt Marr called Lord, I Need You. And that is a song that for me is a form of prayer. And I am gonna be praying it every day this week. I had a friend that introduced me to this prayer. Uh, and he was someone who led music at a church that I worked at several years ago. Uh, he, he, he was uh, not our, our normal person who led music, but our normal person who led music had moved to a different city and we needed someone. And so people were like, oh, this guy Burke, he's actually a really good musician, he can play. And so I talked to him, and, uh, and, and he led on the guitar, which was different for us, but that was great. And, um, and he said, yeah, I'll do it. He, he, he was a student, actually. He was in grad school. He's a therapist now. He was getting his master's degree. And, um, and he said, yeah, while I'm in school, I'll be here and, and, and lead music. And, and about four weeks in, he said to us in worship planning, he was like, hey, can I, I want to do this song called Lord, I Need You. And I was like, okay, I've never heard it, but we can give it a try. And Sunday came, and he was good. Like, he, he led, and people... And, he was, and we were having worship that day, and then all of a sudden, he goes into this new song, and I don't know if y'all have experienced, I assume you have, but there are moments in life where that life force invades, like on Pentecost, and things, as he played this song, shifted into a whole different level. 
There was a power, and it wasn't like it was technically better than the, than the other songs. It, like, he tapped into something in that song, and you felt it spill out into the room, and people were aware that something different was happening. Folks were talking about it afterwards, and I went up to him, and I was like, hey, man, what happened in that song? That was amazing. And he said, oh, that song is the most important song in my life. And he shared something with me. What he shared is, is that the reason he was studying to be a therapist was that he had been diagnosed years before with chronic anxiety. And of the ways that he had learned to, to navigate that journey, his therapist had been one of the people who had been so important to him in healing and in flourishing as therapy is for so many of us. And he was going to go study that. That's what he's doing now. But he said, in my, in my work for flourishing in my anxiety, um, I heard the song and it spoke powerfully to me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. You're my one defense. You're my righteousness. Oh, Lord, how I need you. And he said, when I am struggling on a certain day, one of the most important things for me to do when my mind is running a thousand miles an hour and I can't focus and my heart rate is, he said, is I will sit down and pull out my guitar and I pray this song and I will play it in my room. And sometimes I play it once or twice. Sometimes I'll do it for 45 minutes or an hour, just over and over again, until I can center myself again on Jesus' presence and who he says that I am. And so this song has become something for me that I will be praying this week. And we're gonna pray it now because the Holy Spirit isn't something you analyze. It's something you experience. So for our prayers of the people today, we're going to do it a little differently. We're going to do, we're going to pray through music by this song. If you want to sing along, you're welcome to as a form of prayer. If you don't know this song, you are welcome to just meditate and listen. But may you reach out from the inside for something bigger than yourself. And maybe, just maybe, the Lord might show up in a way that is beyond what you can ask or imagine. Let's pray together. Lord, as your people, may we encounter you this day, this week. We want more than this world has to offer. We want to be a part of the power and love of who you are and your living presence in this world. Lord, may we yearn for you and may we find you. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest without you. I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Every hour I need 
infant, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. Where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. taking place in, around us. May we experience your presence this day, this week. May it fill us to overflowing. That people might look and say, they are fully alive. All of this must come from you. And so we lift this prayer this day and this week in the name of Jesus. And God's people said together,
Amen.